We um, want to continue in our study of uh, the life of Samuel. If you would, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Just a note of thanksgiving for our mothers today. 1 Samuel chapter 2. A little garment that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 19. Moreover, his mother, that is uh, Samuel's mother Hannah, used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. The little robe, the little coat, the little jacket that Hannah used to make for Samuel year by year. What did it mean to Samuel? He pulled this uh, little coat off the peg each morning and it spoke of a mother's tenderness, a mother's love. But much more than that, the prayer that his mother uh, gave, the request that she made for for his growth as as she cried to the Lord, she uh, interceded for Samuel long distance. Hannah was a woman of prayer and Samuel relied on that, on the Lord's provision through his, uh, his days of ministry. What did it mean to Hannah? Each year, she had to increase the size of her uh, jacket that she made for her son. It represented that uh, Samuel grew not just in stature, but also in favor with God and men. It must have been a tremendous encouragement to see answers to Hannah's prayers. So what does it mean to us today? Thanks, Mom. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, those of you who bring your children's requests to the Lord and present them to the Lord and ask his provision for your sons and daughters. We thank you. The life of Samuel. Today we finish up our three-week look at Samuel's life. How have our lives changed through this look at Samuel? Have you been setting the spiritual temperature in your environment at home, at school, at work, even here at the chapel? Have you been setting the temperature? Have you found God's provision to be fully adequate for your needs? His provision through the Lord Jesus, the promises that he has given us in his word. Are they sufficient? Are they satisfying to you so that you don't have to borrow the world's entertainment, the world's uh, refreshment, so-called, the world's goals, the world's values. It was true in Samuel's life. It should be true in ours. Have you accepted opportunities to suffer with the Lord Jesus? The world scorns him. The world scorned him on the earth when he was here. The world crucified our Lord Jesus and wished him dead to have remained dead. That same world exists today they would crucify him afresh and they wish him dead. Would you suffer with him today in reaching the world, reaching the lost? One indication of the impact that Samuel's life has in our lives, and not just Samuel, but also uh, Eli's uh, example, Hannah's example, Ruth's example before that, 
as we've gone through and studied these characters. Uh, one of the indications of impact is that uh, it provokes discussion among us. And uh, I find that true at home, at, uh, at the table, at the lunch, uh, at the breakfast table or dinner table. It causes us to, to encourage each other as we apply God's truth in our lives. So that's our question this morning. How has my life, how has your life changed in light of this look at um, these Bible characters? We want our lives to change. Four points we'd like to look at in Samuel's life now as an older man. Dealing with those who disappoint us. Samuel offers us examples. Uh, part two, we talked last week briefly about um, Samuel loving those who had made bad decisions, those who dealt foolishly in their lives. Second, we'd like to look at Samuel's commitment to prayer. We had looked at that briefly again last week. How does it show itself in his old age, in his, uh, in his latter years? Third, we want to look at Samuel, the active confronter. Samuel confronted sin in the lives of those around him. And then lastly, we'd like to look at Samuel, the man of no compromise. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 12. 1 Samuel, chapter 12. Samuel is at the finish of his life. Bible scholars estimate that he had lived 90 years on the earth. Samuel started well. He was a root out of dry ground. As vitally important as this is to start well, it's not enough. Samuel went on to serve well during his lifetime. He stayed close to his master, his heavenly king, especially when the going got tough. Starting well is not enough. Serving well is not enough. Looking back at life's end, we will realize that it's important to finish well, to finish strong. We may retire from 40 years occupation, but we must not retire from righteousness and devotion and service to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. History of God's people has shown that there is much done for the glory of God that we can undo by having a poor finish. So we want to finish well. What can we learn this morning from Samuel's life on finishing well? In uh, 1 Samuel 12, we begin with verse 1. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. We found... Similarities in the last weeks between Samuel 
and the Apostle Paul. We find them here again this morning. That um, Samuel had taken nothing, had uh, taken no payment for his services as, um, as their judge. He had stolen nothing. He's asserting his righteousness here. And uh, the Apostle Paul did the same. He wasn't in the Lord's service for financial gain. So no one could accuse Samuel of taking, having taken a bribe that blinded his eyes. He asked them, uh, whom have I cheated? There was Israel standing before him. Go ahead, say it. There was no one who was able to lay a charge against Samuel. He'd lived righteously before them, sacrificially as well. So Samuel reviews the Lord's goodness, his grace before them in verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of God which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam, Bidan, Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. The Lord showed his goodness to Israel. It was a, a cycle of blessing, overconfidence, defiance, and judgment. And the Lord showed his goodness, his kindness, his grace toward the nation of Israel in spite of their, in spite of themselves. Samuel doesn't downplay the rejection of Israel, uh, by Israel of their king, the Lord God, uh, starting in verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. And when the Lord, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Samuel doesn't um, soft pedal. He doesn't speak lightly of Israel's rejection of their king. Instead, he names the, the sin plainly. You have rejected the Lord who is your king. 
And yet the Lord offers benefits through Samuel similar to what they would have had had they not rejected him. In verse 19, And the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Israel would suffer the consequences of their rejection, of their decision for an earthly king. We read last week that the earthly kings, not just Saul, but kings in general, will take, take, take from the hands of their subjects. That is their nature. Their heavenly king was a king who gave freely, generously, according to his abundance. And so Israel would suffer consequences from that. Earthly kings are selfish and greedy. But he tells them, do not fear, do not turn aside. Verse 20 could be our key our key verse for today and for uh, our study of Samuel. It was, uh, it was the motto of his life. Verse 20, Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. This was his message to the nation of Israel through his years of ministry. This was the example that Samuel brought to Israel not to turn aside from the Lord, but to serve him all the days of your life. And this is the example that Samuel offers to us this morning. Don't turn aside from the Lord. Serve him all the days of your life. More than that, verse 20 was a, an invitation to the joys that they had had with the Lord previously. It was a restoration of their, their relationship. It was an invitation to them. Yes, they had sinned against the Lord. Yes, they had grieved Him. They had rejected Him. But He stood before them with outstretched hand offering the blessings of communion with Himself. Again, it shows the long-suffering of the Lord, the grace of God. What an amazing God is the Lord. The word of the Lord had come to Israel a second time. Jehovah is the God of new life and the God of the second chance. Those of us who have received this new life have failed Him in our lives, if yours is like mine, but the touch of the Master's hand can restore a soul to communion and usefulness. What an amazing God we serve. Do you have this new life that Jehovah offers? 
Do you have life in Christ? If you have this life, have you experienced that healing touch, that restoring touch that he alone can give after we have failed him? He says in verse 21, don't turn aside. You'd go after empty things which cannot deliver, cannot profit or deliver. I started running down the list of things that, uh, that do not profit. Uh, today, astrology, psychology, new age, yoga, Buddhism. Uh, I got to thinking about this and uh, we walk through Borders or um, what's the other big bookstore? And we look at all the headings uh, on the shelves and we can just go through a bookstore, a library, and see all the empty things that the world offers. Things that do not profit. Things that cannot deliver. Verse 22. The Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. What a beautiful promise. The Lord will not walk out on His Israel. Israel would walk out on the Lord. They would, they would quit Him, but in His long-suffering and goodness, He would not quit them. Why? Because, verse 22 says, for His great name's sake. Because it had pleased the Lord to make them His people. He had chosen Israel. That's why. That's why He would not walk out on them. He had chosen them to begin with. It's the Lord's doing. It's all about the Lord. He had placed His name on them as His own. Samuel does not miss an opportunity here to warn the people. We start talking about the benefits, the blessings of the Lord. It's easy to get lulled into a sense of um, self-reliance, complacency. He warns them in verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you should be swept away, both you and your king. As we look over these verses, we see that Israel had grieved God's heart and therefore grieved Samuel's heart as well. But here Samuel has this precious opportunity to offer restoration to the nation in spite of their bad decision. Here's an opportunity to, uh, to be restored to the Lord. And it's an example for us as we see people around us who grieve the Lord. They, uh, they've offended the Lord. They reject the Lord. They walk around as practical atheists who should be carrying the Lord's name. When they return to the Lord, how are we to treat them? If we follow Samuel's example, we love them. We pray for them. As, uh, as, we're gonna, as we see in verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. This is our second key from the life of Samuel. The first was loving those who disappoint us, disappoint the Lord and disappoint us. The second is committing ourselves to pray for these people. Samuel committed himself to pray for the nation. Notice Samuel didn't offer to start praying for them. He was committing himself to continue praying. Their needs were already deeply impressed on Samuel's heart. 
Neither did he see his prayerlessness as a potential sin against Israel. Rather, he was accountable to the Lord. It would be a sin against the Lord for me to stop praying for you. In a coming day, he envisioned a meeting with the Lord when the Lord would evaluate and judge his prayer life. The Lord had made them his people. These are, this is my nation, Israel. And uh, Samuel, how was your prayer life for them? We too, who know the Lord Jesus, are called to pray for our brethren. In uh, Ephesians 6.18, we read, Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For all the saints. We will be called into accountability for our prayer life. That's a scary thought. I need help in my prayer life. And for those who need some practical help in yours, I offer a three-ring binder. I have to have something practical uh, to take from each, each Bible lesson. Through the years, I have uh, inserted pages in my prayer binder for each individual or family in Calvary Bible Chapel. I, I list on that uh, individual page praises to the Lord and prayer requests for you. Uh, at the end of the request, each request, I put a date. That's the date I start praying. I leave room in the far right for uh, another date, the date when the prayer is answered. Maybe you don't need this. Maybe you've already got a well-disciplined prayer life. I need my three-ring binder. need my prayer book. Um, prayer used to be a little bit hard to, um, to concentrate on, so uh, I started putting photographs on the page. Thanks for... Thanks for photographs of the different families or individuals in the assembly. So, uh, when I go to pray for my brethren, I have uh, a help available for that prayer. Uh, God forbid that I should sin against Him in ceasing to pray for you. And this is a, this is a help to me. If the assembly's health and growth and maturity depended on our intercession for each other, how healthy would we be? If each of us prayed as you do, would we experience such a, a surge of the Lord's help and blessing that there wouldn't be room enough to contain it? The Lord calls us to be Samuels in our prayer lives, committed to uphold our brethren, frail though we be. We need prayer all the more because of our infirmity and frailness. So, second lesson to take from Samuel's old age is a commitment to pray. We're committed to pray for those whom we love in the assembly. Third, Samuel was an active confronter. He pursued those who sinned uh, to correct them. Samuel was a judge. He dispensed 
judgment. He dispensed righteousness. He was, uh, he was only too willing to, um, to point out when God's name was being um, defied, when his name was being um, dishonored. It wasn't easy, especially for an aged man like Samuel. We find his first confrontation of Saul in chapter 13 and verses 5 through 15. Time doesn't permit us to look at this first confrontation, but we will look at a question in verse 11. Questions are beautiful. Questions are insightful. Questions cause the hearer to think. The Lord Jesus used questions. And the one that Samuel formed and uh, said to Saul in verse 11 was, what have you done? What have you done? It kind of sets Saul back on his heels and, and starts to think about, uh, what have I done? Because uh, too often we don't think. Too often we haven't gone through the, the drill, the exercise of considering our actions and the consequences. So Samuel begins, what have you done, Saul? What have you done? We'd like to look at a second confrontation. It's a, it's a classic in uh, chapter 15. Saul's incomplete obedience. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for, for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Samuel, so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and tell him, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the, to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Saul's mission, simple. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. Any questions? Go to it. On Israel's way out of Egypt, 400 years previous, the Amalekites had ambushed Israel. They had attacked Israel's rear flanks. They had attacked the weak and weary stragglers who were trying to keep up with the main body of Israel. It was a cowardly tactic on the Amalekites' part. They attacked in defiance of God. They didn't fear the Lord, but uh, attacked His people ruthlessly. God had promised at that time, once Israel was established in their land, that God would wipe out the memory of the Amalekites from off the earth from under heaven. 
your mission, your mission, Saul, complete what the Lord had promised back in, uh, in Egypt, leaving Egypt. In verse 3, we see ox and, and sheep. I want to note that very carefully. The Lord had instructed Saul to destroy the ox and the sheep. The paragraph heading in my Bible is uh, Saul's incomplete obedience. What does that mean to you parents? It means sin. Incomplete obedience is... Disobedience, yes. So it's uh, it's kind of a misnomer to to say Saul's incomplete obedience. Verse ten. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, "I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments." And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Some may think of a confronter, an active confronter, as a man or woman who swings a uh, 10-pound sledgehammer and uh, busts up uh, any acts of defiance that he or she sees in, in the Lord's church. Others may picture a confronter as that Wild West deputy who gallops into town with his six guns blazing uh, plugs all the bad guys and inter- interviews the wives afterwards to find out what crimes they committed. Samuel dispels these images of a confronter. The news, the Lord's news of Samuel's disobedience grieved Saul, uh, Samuel. So how did Samuel respond? He cried out all night to God for something better. When's the last time? You or someone you know cried out to the Lord all night. It happens in grief for sin. Samuel mourned for Saul. So in verse 12, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed, he has set up, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone to down to Gilgal. Samuel rose early. It was painful for Samuel to cry out to God all night, and he was anxious to get about the duty that he had to confront Samuel. It was true also of Abraham at, um, as he looked toward Mount Moriah, and the Lord had instructed him to offer his son Isaac As a sacrifice, uh, Abraham rose early. We see Samuel distressed about this until it be accomplished. Samuel had been tested and proven in his youth. Confrontation was not something new to him. He had obeyed the Lord in confronting Eli. He dealt faithfully, truthfully with Eli and his sin. So it was nothing new for him. Samuel, uh, verse 13, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Hmm, the Lord had told you to destroy both. And Saul 
said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, uh, oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. It didn't seem right to Saul to, to kill Agag. So he saved the best of the oxen and the sheep and he uh, saved the life of Agag. Samuel said in effect, I think I know better than the Lord does this time. It was a fatal error for Saul. It's a fatal error for us too when we start trying to adjust the Word of God to suit our conditions. The Lord says you shall not steal. When I look at something that belongs to someone else and I take it and I reason with myself, well, I'm not stealing it, I'm just borrowing it. And if I don't return it, I'm really the only one who knows about it. It's no big deal. What we're doing is we're committing an error. We are um, twisting God's Word, trying to suit it to our purpose. It didn't work for Saul and it won't work for us. Saul saved them to sacrifice to the Lord. So that, in Saul's mind, made it okay, in uh, verse 15, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Whether that was really his original intent or not, he offers it to Samuel. Take some of the heat off. Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. Here's a beautiful picture of the intimacy that Samuel enjoyed with the Lord God. What the Lord said to me last night. As he cried out to God in his misery over Saul, this is what the Lord shared with me last night. Is this communion available to us today? that we can so discern the Lord's will that it's uh, as if He's speaking to us. We read His Word, we understand that Word, and we move out in obedience to that Word. Is that communion available today? And if so, what is the price? What price must we pay for it? Samuel would fearlessly, faithfully present God's mind to disobedient Saul. The easier road is always for us to look the other way and hope that things take care of themselves, especially Samuel in his old age. Samuel, don't you know what retirement is? Samuel, aren't you going to take a break? Aren't you going to quit the work of the Lord? There is no retirement while the Lord's work remains to be done. We can retire from business. We can't retire from the Scripture from the Lord's commands, from His work. Samuel, in um, verse 17, he says, uh, when, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Six questions Samuel poses to, Sam, uh, to Saul. 
And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which, on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. <clears throat> Saul sinned against the Lord. Starting to feel the, the conviction of that sin, he turns to the nation of Israel and says, the people took the oxen and the sheep. But again, to sacrifice to the Lord. He's trying to, trying to weasel out of, uh, of this uh, accusation against him. Samuel, the confronter, is not biting. He's not accepting Saul's blame shift. <clears throat> verse 23, I'm sorry, verse uh, 22, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Samuel named Saul's sin. Another point for, your, for our confronters. He named it as rebellion, stubbornness, rejection of God's word. And then he very plainly told Saul the consequences. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That's the consequence. That's the payment for your rejection. Saul ascended the throne of Israel because the nation of Israel had rejected her king, Jehovah. God graciously met them in their low spiritual condition. Now, would he allow Saul to maintain and enlarge his kingdom by rejecting the word of God? No. The Lord rejected him as king. Who killed Saul? We're looking ahead in our, uh, in our scriptures. It's a very amazing uh, answer to that question, very intriguing. But we must wait either until we read ahead or until our speaker in the next couple of weeks tells us who killed Saul. Things that we learn about being an active confronter from the life of aged Samuel. <clears throat> The active confronter is true to God's word. He doesn't bend it. He doesn't accept the bending of God's word by others. He's true to God's revealed will through his word. He, he mourns the damage done to God's glory. The active, <clears throat> excuse me, the active confronter is gripped with sorrow for the one who disobeys God and he in no way feels superior to the one he is challenging. Very important. The active confronter is not sidetracked by lame excuses. The confronter names the sin. He points out the consequences of that sin. What we've seen of Samuel so far this morning, an aged man, at least in his 80s, he's shown patience with the foolish, the simple, the slow to believe. 
He was committed to the Lord to pray for these frail, foolish fellow Israelites. He actively pursued those who were bringing dishonor to God's name, especially to their king, Saul. Finally, in our look at Samuel this morning, we see him as a man of no compromise. He took no prisoners. Saul, after this confrontation with Samuel, went up to worship. It was kind of an empty worship because uh, he was still in disobedience to the Lord. God's mission was still incomplete. His execution order against Agag was not carried out. And Saul seemed in no hurry to fulfill it. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse 32, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Samuel allowed no compromise to God's word, to his commands, to his revealed will. Samuel was fiercely devoted to obedience of God's word, reminding us again of the Lord Jesus who uh, said, the zeal for your house has eaten me up. The zeal for the Lord's house had eaten Samuel up. Young Christian warriors, you can put your sharpened steel back in your sheaths. There are no agags for you to hack to pieces in this dispensation of grace. But there are other enemies to slay. Among them, the flesh. What is the flesh? Flesh we could easily define as nature, our human nature asserting its rights. Someone defined it as the sin within. The flesh includes pride, love for human praise, carnal anger and impatience, self-will, selfishness, unbelief. In a coming day, we who know the Lord will meet Samuel in glory. Samuel may ask you, may ask me, I was willing to slay Agag in my desire to honor and to fulfill God's word. Which were your enemies? Were you as willing to deal as forcefully and drastically with your enemies as I was with Agag? In that coming day, when our life work is ended, each of us who knows the Lord Jesus will see him face to face. He will review our failures in the Christian life, hopefully not too many. He will review our successes in the Christian life, hopefully not too few. What will count in that day? Did I start well? Did I grow and bear fruit spiritually in spite of my circumstances? Did I serve well? 
Was I patient with those who didn't follow the Lord as closely as I thought I did? Did I finish well? Was I as fresh and flourishing at the end of my life as in the prime of my spiritual youth? Let's pray. Thank you for the exhortation this morning, Lord, from the life of Samuel. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. We thank you for men and women like Samuel today who have taken that as a life theme and represent you so faithfully, so strong before us. We pray that we might be like them as well. We might not be ashamed or embarrassed when we come before you, come to that day of judgment, that accountability for our Christian lives here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word, for its beauty. In your name, amen.